Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Giese, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam will join me later with the latest from Saratoga Racecourse. But first, it was an incredible Wednesday for Shenandoah grad Ian Anderson. He made his Major League debut for the Atlanta Braves against the powerful lineup of the New York Yankees. He held them without a hit for five innings. He ended up allowing just one run on one hit, Luke Voigt's home run, in six innings and getting the win in the Braves' 5-1 victory in the first game of a doubleheader. He struck out six and walked two and was in command from the outset. I'll have close of Anderson's post-game Zoom interview in a few minutes. After the game, I spoke with Anderson's pitching coach at Shenandoah, Keith Lansley, and I asked him about Anderson's performance. Well, Keith, uh, just an amazing day, Major League debut for Ian. How proud are you of him? Oh, so proud. It's an unbelievable thing for our Shen baseball family, Clifton Park, Half Moon, you know, the whole Capital Region. Outstanding job. So proud to be, have been involved with him in any way, shape, or form. He's such a great kid. When you, when you saw him take the mound, did you see any nervousness? I mean, he he's looked look, uh, calm uh, from the get-go. He, he didn't, uh, I mean, he looked really just uh, like he was a, a veteran out there. Yeah, it looked like it was an everyday start for him, like a normal thing. He, you know, he's unflappable as it normally is. I was nervous, I think, more than he was. What do you think made him successful today? What, what uh, was, and I was listening to the post-game press conference uh, with Ian, and some, I guess the changeup was seen to be working pretty well. Changeup is definitely his go-to pitch. You know, fastballs up and changeups down at the knees, and they were, you know, show a little curveball here and there. Keep him off balance, and, you know, that's the name of the game for him. It's just going to be hitting the spots and moving the ball up and down. And his changeup is a plus-plus pitch, I think. As the game progressed, I mean, we know it's a seven-inning uh, game because of the, the doubleheader. The no-hitter, as Major League Baseball said, doesn't would not count as a seven-inning double yeah. no-hitter. But he's moving along here, and it's like, do you start thinking, well, can he make it, you know, pitch a no-hitter in his debut? Definitely. The way he was rolling, it, he, he got in no trouble. You know, the couple spots of trouble he got into, a double play ball both times. The one, you know, Hicks beat it out. But it was like he was unflappable. He just kept doing what he was supposed to do. Stayed focused, and you could see he wasn't worried about a no-hitter, you know. How, it was, yeah. How important was it? I mean, I mean, it's the first pitch of the game. He throws a strike right down yeah. the middle. I mean, does that settle? You know, take me through the mind of a pitcher make, uh, making his debut does that help maybe settle him down? You just get that first ball over, and there's like everything just yeah, flows from there. Yeah, that first pitch sets the tone for the whole game, and you know he put that one right where he needed to, and he just settled in and cruised. The first, you know, that first batter, I gotta imagine, is just nerve wracking, and he was pumped up in the first, and he was hit 95, 96, which isn't usually where he pitches at. He can hit it, but his changeup I think was 88, 89 at one point in the first inning, which is phenomenal velocity for a changeup, and I think he just settled in and that first pitch man it set the tone and he just went after it he credited uh the catcher of flowers with uh calling a great game he didn't yep. seem to shake him off he, i mean how important is that for you know pitcher and catcher i mean uh, obviously really not familiar with each other to be in sync like that 
I think at this point in the career, he's going to do what the catcher says. You know, those guys, Flowers and uh, I think Travis Darno's their other catcher, are two seasoned guys. That you know, they've been through the league. They've they've seen the Yankees and faced them. And you know, he's Ian's always been a coachable kid who trusts the people around him to you know put him in the right spots to do well and succeed. And it, Tyler called a great game, and you know, just he hit the spots. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? He, how does he build upon this? You know, he's got some work on his curveball, and he, he really is focused on the offseason and through the, the COVID crisis. You know, and I think it's just settling in and developing his routine as a major leaguer now is, you know, becoming, you know, the hardest part to get. They say the hard, hard part's getting there, but the harder part is staying once you've gotten there. So he's got to develop his routine and learn from those guys around him. they got a nice young core of pitchers. Yeah, you know, I don't, they can develop that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you talked to him much during the uh... – Pause when you know spring training stopped and then they went to summer camp. Now, did you did you think that maybe this would be a setback for him because of what uh, we you know, obviously it was a delay in the start of the season and and there really wasn't a minor league uh, baseball this year for him to. I mean, it's it's nice to have the alternate site and uh, win it, but you're you're playing simulated games and you're not really uh, facing uh, real competition. Yeah, I've been working with him and his brother still in the off season. We started throwing, I think, in late December, a little bit before Christmas. We worked right through until he went to spring training, and then when he came back, they, he just picked it up. He's like, "Let's go, coach. Let's get you know get back at it." And there was a period there where they didn't know what was going on. It kind of, it kind of became like this is you know getting tedious. But you know, at the workouts, they were the two of them are focused like you know like a laser beam and. How can we do this better? How can we do that better? You know, they've invested in some of those metric things to use, and they've done a great job just focusing on it. And then when he left, he was ready. It was you could just tell. No, he was ready to pitch in a live game, live setting, and you know, get people out. When he was pitching at that Shenandoah, did you see something in him that you thought this guy is going to, this kid's going to be good, and he's going to be a major league star? You know, when he was a freshman, I think he averaged like 12 strikeouts a game, and he, you know, he threw hard, but he wasn't really polished. And then his sophomore year, he just kind of he bought into everything we were preaching, and he just kind of took off from there. Not to credit ourselves, his father's done an outstanding job too, coaching him. You know, he's a you know Hall of Fame level high school coach. And you can see it; he was just focused, and him and his brother, they just wanted it. They wanted baseball more than anything else. And you know, they're outstanding students and outstanding people, but they, you know. It really was. That was really the difference. They wanted it. They worked at it. As you said, it's a great day for Shenandoah, for Clifton Park, and you know, for the entire Capital Region. Uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be the talk of the t- uh, you know, papers and the media in the next yeah. few days here. So, Keith, appreciate a few minutes talking about Ian Anderson. Uh, thank you, and uh, keep up the great work at Shenandoah. No problem. Thank you very much. Thanks to Keith for coming on the show. Now, here is sound from Ian Anderson's Zoom press conference. Yeah, early on, definitely there were some nerves uh, going, but I think it was a good, good nervousness, you know, and excitement to get out there and uh, prove myself a little bit. And uh, as the game went on, they, they settled down a little bit, and, and I was able to get in a little bit of a groove, and uh, it went well. Yeah, sorry, I, th- I think uh, I think pretty early on, I, I had I was getting getting comfortable, and and that was kind of the mindset I went into it with. And you know, in the past when I've jumped levels, I, I've kind of struggled in that first game. Um, so I, I was trying to make an emphasis to, to have that not be the case this time, and uh, I think that mindset kind of helped me out. 
Who'd you call afterwards or talk to? Uh, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't talked to anyone yet. I just shot my parents a text, you know, thanking them for everything and make sure they know I love them and, and you know that you know, they're a huge part of this as well and, and my whole family and everyone that's supported me along the way. So. How many messages did you have? Did you see a number? Uh, I, I honestly didn't. Uh, it was a lot. It was a lot to sort through, so I'm excited to, to take that on later. Yeah, I mean, that's the something that I've been working on quite a bit. Um, you know, filling up the strike zone and, and making hitters, you know, make that, that judgment call last second, uh, you know, of what pitch it is and, and then try to hit it. And, um, you know, my last couple outings down in Gwinnett at the alternate site were, um, you know, similar to this. I was, I was on the attack and, and I saw the results. And, uh, you know, it's definitely something that going forward, I just try to be on the attack more and, and fill up the zone. Here's what Braves manager Brian Snicker had to say. Say he didn't give up a hit during the sixth, what would have happened? He was done after the sixth. I mean, he went 90 pitches, but, you know, that 90 pitches at the alternate site and, and 90 pitches here against the New York Yankees is a completely different animal. Um, although he didn't look seem spent when he came out of the game, when I went over and, and, and talked to him, um, you know, and I, and I was glad I saw something the other day on TV. It said seven inning, no hitters don't count. Right. Yeah, today after Giolito's um, last night. So kind of knowing that, it wasn't like, I was like, well, it may be a little easier. <laughs> Pull the plug on him. <laughs> but, you know, he didn't, he didn't seem mentally exhausted um, when I went and talked to him. Coming up, we'll have our weekly visit with Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam on Saratoga horse racing. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Saratoga Horse Racing fans, want a chance to win a $50 gift certificate? Then play the Daily Gazette Saratoga Pick 7. Pick your horses to score the most points in the first seven races at Saratoga Racetrack. The winner receives a $50 gift certificate to either an area eating establishment, hardware store, golf course, bookstore, or wine and liquor store. To see the list of establishments participating, pick up a copy of the Daily Gazette. To play, Go to pick7.dailygazette.com and make your picks 15 minutes before post time the day of the race. The Saratoga Pick 7 contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not affiliated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Jim Schultz. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. Another week of horse racing at Saratoga is in the books. So let's talk to our man of the track, Gazette sports writer, Mike McAdam. Well, Mike, welcome back to, uh, to the uh, podcast. Another week in the books and another week ready to start at Saratoga. Yep, and um, Tis the Law uh, got in a, a very sharp workout on Sunday. It was originally scheduled for Saturday. Uh, we got this like intense 20-minute rainstorm that postponed it until the, the following day. It was really the only thing that's gone wrong, and it, it doesn't even you know qualify as something going wrong because they just moved it back a day, and then he was just a monster as usual. Um, he'll have one more breeze coming up this weekend before the Kentucky Derby, um, and we'll be there for that whenever it is, even if it's at 5.30 in the morning and it's dark out like it was last weekend, <laughs> we could barely see him. So it was, we constantly... Um, praise him for his very bold white blaze on his forehead and nose that you can actually, in a white shadow roll, the day piece of equipment that they have on his nose because um, we can actually spot him in the dark with that. Yeah. So, 
Well, I was going to ask. I mean, obviously, the one-day delay be that 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 really doesn't affect the horse at all. Nah, nah, nah. Especially since it was his first work back, his first serious breeze work back from uh, the Travers. Um, you know, he had just been doing easy gallops uh, between the Travers and then, and just from a you know cycle rhythm set up, you know, Saturday, Sunday really didn't matter. Um, this was also, this work was very important and probably is more important than the one coming up because the one coming up this weekend is going to be kind of more of let's just sustain, um, you know, what the fitness that he has. And, and But the one this past weekend was a little more um, important objectives behind it and they accomplished all of that and let him do his thing and, and uh, um, so he got, they got out of him what they want, what we're looking for last weekend. And then this weekend, it'll just be like, come on, status quo. And, and let's get to, to uh, Louisville. Yeah. Well, uh, Chad Brown had a lot of horses last weekend run and really was not a great uh, weekend for Chad. Well, it was an up, it was a down and up weekend anyway. I mean, Saturday was an unmitigated disaster. And then he came back and, and, you know, kind of rebounded on Sunday. On Saturday, it was a four star Dave. He had, Four grade one or group one winners um, entered in a nine-horse field for the four-star Dave, and none of them finished, including Uni, who's a, a defending Clips uh, Award-winning female turf uh, horse. Um, and none of them finished better than fifth place, which is, a, I mean, that's just a disaster. you you, you got to do better than that. Um, uh, then he came back on Sunday in the Diana race that he's very familiar with, and he had two stellar, you know, wonderful star Phillies in that race. Um, Sister Charlie, a champion two years ago in Rushing Fall, who's, you know, kind of, not, I shouldn't say quietly, but she's kind of methodically put together a stellar career that probably will land her in the Hall of Fame someday. Um, she's won a grade one race four years in a row since she was two years old, including the Breeders' Cup that year as a two year old. And in this case, she won the grade one Diana. So Chad Brown's won this race five years in a row and six times overall. Sister Charlie won it the last two. And she, Sister, excuse me, Sister Charlie came in third in, in the Diana. And he, he, he talked it up pretty good afterwards. I mean, she's, she had a long eight and a half month layoff and she came back and, and she's gotten beaten at Saratoga twice. Um, but he had all good, encouraging words to say and, and you know, forging ahead to the Breeders' Cup with Sister Charlie, but rushing fall, boy, will she? Um, and the the um, it came at the expense of Trainer Grand Motion, who trained me and Mary, who was leading all the way, and then got in a really interesting, dramatic duel through the stretch with rushing fall. And rushing fall just kind of got up, and she won by a neck at the end, which means as much success as Chad Brown has had in the, the Diana. It's been a lot of equal amount of heartbreak for Grand Motion, who has lost it. It's come in second place six times, and those six second place finishes are by like a combined three lengths. Like most of them are a body part, you know, like a neck or a head or a nose, and, and you know, it's not an open length. So he's come close, and and mean Mary finishing second to Rushing Fall was um, uh, just another bad Diana chapter for Grand Motion, but. Uh, Another, I mean, Chad Brown's domination in that race just continued. Well, maybe the rough weekend that Chad Brown had is going to affect the trainer standings as we tape this on Wednesday. Todd Fletcher's up by one on Chad Brown. Yeah, and, um, I mean, it could be a tussle right down to the wire. The way, I mean, we keep, you know, Todd Fletcher keeps saying, you know, I don't have enough 
bullets to be able to, you know, to win 40 at this meet. And it doesn't look like 40 is going to, no one's going to hit 40 this year. Um, and we're running out of racetrack here. We've only got a couple weeks left. And if it stays close going into that, that last couple days of the meet, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. A lot of times what happens, like on closing day, when it's close like that, they'll go around and, and look who's in the barn that we can just throw in there and win a claiming race or something like that just to get a W, um, you know, like a good horse dropping down into this claiming category. It'll be, so it'll be interesting to see what the entry box looks like going into the last couple of days and it stays close like that. Meanwhile, the jockey race has kind of took an interesting twist during uh, Wednesday's card. Uh, the two brothers, uh, Irad and Jose Ortiz, both kind of got dinged up during the card. Um, Jose wrenched his knee when his horse was acting up in the starting gate, um, and then he was cleared by first aid and was able to keep, you know, continue riding the rest of the card. And then in the last race, Irad's uh, horse flipped in the gate and he hurt his wrist, and so. Those, those guys both kind of got banged up. I read up by three, and I was kind of going through all the recap sheets at the beginning of the meet, and no one's led by more than four the whole way, and usually it's, you know, one or two, it's been tight. So, see, both guys are committed to staying through the, the rest of the meet. They will not be going to Churchill Downs for Derby Week, so, um, and Joel Rosario is still kind of lurking there. Um, in third place, so um, could get kind of crazy yeah. toward the end of uh, toward closing day. Usually, Mike, the last week of August is the uh, Travers Week. How different is it this week that there's no Travers? It's already been run. I've been saying this all along. It, the, the bizarre thing is that every day seems the same, um, whether it's Travers Day, a rescheduled Travers Day, or like a lousy card on a Wednesday. Every day you walk in, there's nobody there. <laughs> There's no fanfare. There's no noise when the horse wins, even if it's to the law winning the Travers by three and a half lengths or just some, you know, claiming race on a Wednesday or a Thursday. The atmosphere is the same. So I you can't really say, you know, you be in your Travers rhythm this week. I, I will go back to the fact that Whitney Week and Travers Week were the two most intense weeks of the meet. We're back to back this year with the Travers being rescheduled for August 8th and um Let's not do that again next year. <laughs> we were getting pretty wrung out by the end of the Travers week this year just because, you know, there's just so much good stuff piled on both those weekends, and, and you kind of have to be forced to do extra um, advance work for both of those races, and uh, to have it back-to-back weeks, there's just no breather for two weeks there, and uh, so we would love to see the Travers back at its normal spot on the calendar next year. Uh, stepping away from uh, Saratoga, maximum security, a uh, nice win in the Pacific Classic. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's his third, it's his second race with Bob Baffert after having a long layoff. And um, based on that, he won pretty convincingly by three lengths. Um, he moved back to uh, the top spot in the NTRA national poll. Um, it's interesting that, you know, they have two polls, one for three-year-olds, you know, exclusively for three-year-olds. And the other is all categories bunched together. And tis the law unanimously, 39 first place votes in the three-year-old three portion of the, the poll. But there's still one, two, three, four, five different horses that got first place votes in the, um, the just the general thoroughbred poll. Maximum security with the most at 16. And tis the law had 11 first place votes, including mine. And he's in fifth place in maximum security. And I was kind of torn who I was going to vote for him first. I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to stick with Tiz. 
that's like kind of a real, you know, anybody's ball game right now too. And maximum security and tis the law, if things play out the way they're supposed to, they would meet in the Breeders' Cup Classic, which would be amazing. But of course, tis the law has some business to take care of first, that being the Kentucky Derby on September 5th and the Preakness on October 3rd, which um, they said they want to run in the Preakness even if he gets beat in the, in the Derby. So, um, so there's a lot, a lot of movement and a lot of things happening in the, in the main thoroughbred, you know, the general thoroughbred poll. But maximum security certainly deserving number one this week um, after that nice win. Yeah, heading, classic. Yeah, heading back to Saratoga one last time here. Um, what's the big race this weekend? Uh, there's two. Um, actually, Saturdays are pretty crowded. Um, you got the Saranac and Amsterdam, but the two big ones are the Grade One Forgo, which is a sprint. You're going to see a couple back from the A.G. Vanderbilt earlier in the meet. And then the grade one, you know, long turf route race, which is the Sword Dancer. Um, the Sword Dancer, we're going we're gonna to see the top three. Well, I say the top three. I mean the top three finishers from the Bowling Green earlier in the meet. But it was a very kind of a wild finish with a lot of stuff going on late. And the leading to um, Sadler's Joy, who won, this race, won the Sword Dancer in 2017, getting disqualified from first and placed fourth, giving cross-border the victory, making cross-border undefeated in five starts career um, at Saratoga. Um, so those two in the third-place finisher, Highland Sky, are all back in the sort of dance. Pretty stacked, you know, um, you know, crowded, balanced field. And then it, the four goes, there's a lot of stuff going on there, too. One thing that isn't going on, though, is Volatile, who won the Vanderbilt early in the meet very impressively. He's not in there. He's widely regarded as the best sprinter in the country, but we still got a pretty full field, including Whitmore, Mind Control, Frenzy Fire, Lexitonian, Everfast, um, Funnier Red Funny Guy. Um, so the, the forego, both of those races would be very interesting this weekend and would appear to have pretty balanced fields. Well, Mike, appreciate it once again, and uh, we'll do this again next week, and next week when we talk, it'll be September. Well, I, I saw a tweet where there was a, um, a red uh, maple leaf that fell to the ground that had already that, that changed color, and that's sort of one of the rituals every year. The first person to spot some leaves changing is instantly becomes the bad guy on Twitter for, <laughs> you know, for killing people with the, the, uh, the approach of fall, and, and um, so I haven't I haven't seen any leaves change, but I did see one that was tweeted out this morning, and uh, so <laughs> we're winding down. Yep, one more week after this one. It's it's going to be uh, just hopefully, obviously, we'll talk more about that uh, next couple weeks here. Mike, appreciate it once again, okay. and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks, Ken. Back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. This is Union Women's Hockey Coach Josh Skiba. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast, keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition 
for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you are doing in this difficult time. Now that the state is reopened, that does not mean you should relax. Keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be considerate. Be safe. That wraps up another edition of the Party Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Keith Lansley, Mike McAdam, Ian Anderson, and Brian Snitker for being on the show. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe.